Why do you people care who I love? It's not about her. It's about you. Why do you refuse to accept what should be completely obvious by now? You've seen what we can do. You can't doubt we are who we say we are. Look, it's not about who you are, it's, it's about who I am. Can't outrun your fate, David. I just disagree with you about what my fate is. I know what I feel for her, and it's not gonna change. All I have are the choices that I make. Can't outrun fate, a twist of fate, to tempt fate, to leave someone to their fate, or to seal your fate. You know, as humans, whether it's in our religion, our philosophy, or our great debates, we grapple with this idea of fate. Whether it's in one form or another, we ask the question, am I here to fulfill a predetermined fate, or do we build our futures through free will and the choices that we make? Who knows what movie that is? Anybody? The Adjustment Bureau, right? That was not Jason Bourne. He was not going to pull out a gun or beat that guy up. But uh, The Adjustment Bureau, it's one of the many movies that deals with fate and free will. I mean, I could think of ones from when I was growing up. The movie Pie, that's kind of an independent film. Uh, Twelve Monkeys, Final Destination, Final Destination 2, Final Destination 3, Final Destination 4, Final Destination 5, right? All of them, they deal with that. But that's The Adjustment Bureau. And the bureau operates under the command of somebody called the chairman, right? And the chairman writes the plan, and then his bureau ensures that everything goes according to the plan. And what's interesting about the plot of this movie to me is that he gives free will and then he takes it back. So he gives free will back to man after the height of the Roman Empire to see how they would do, and that's how the Dark Ages happen. So then he takes free will back, and that sparks the Renaissance, and it sparks the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and then he tries to give man free will back again. The chairman does, and that's what sparks the World War. So in this movie, the Adjustment Bureau, the movie's plot is whether the love of the main characters as a serious deviation from the chairman's plot, if that could force a rewrite. And what's interesting is we learn in the movie is that the chairman wants us to write the plan, but he wants us to learn to use our free will well. And in a way, it kind of ties into what we talked about last week, because last week we talked about prayer. How can God be unchanging? And yet in the Bible, it seems like prayer changes God. How can God be big enough for both? And we didn't answer all the questions, but we looked at God's role as our Heavenly Father. Because God's sovereignty, he's not some aloof monarch, some distant dictator. He's a loving father. And in the same way that a loving father cares about the development of his sons and daughters, he cares about our development and the shaping of our will. And we talked about how Jesus prayed and he ended his prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And that's God's will for us. God wills that we would will that his will be done in our lives and in our world. There's a lot of wills, so let me say that again. He wills that we would will that his will would be done in our lives and in our world. And the main point last week is don't let the sovereignty of God cancel out the power and effectiveness of prayer. But don't let the effectiveness of prayer cancel out for you the power and sovereignty of God. He's big enough for both. So maybe you were challenged to pray last week. Hopefully everybody here prayed at some point last week. But the question is, I, I pray... Now what? Do I make plans or do I trust God's providence? Do I get to working or do I get to waiting? Because even if I toil, won't God's will still prevail? You know, Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. It sounds a lot like a line from Shakespeare's Hamlet, where it says, there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them how we will. This is Shakespeare struggling with the idea that you can't fight fate, that there is a destiny that can't be shaken. There's a divinity that shapes circumstances in spite of our choices. You know, the prophet Jeremiah echoes both of these in chapter 10, 23, when he says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. So then the questions arise. If God's providence and plan prevails, do we control our destiny or anything for that matter? Do our decisions direct our life or does God bend fate to his will no matter what? How can following God be big enough for both our free will and the will of God, God's will, which always seems to ultimately prevail. And I want to look at two steps tonight, how we can freely follow God and guide us to where he wants us to be. Two steps tonight that reconcile our will with his will. And I want to start with this idea of praying that we talked about last week. And the first one is simply this, wait well. Wait well. Again, last week we talked about prayer. We talked about how in Matthew 6, Jesus says, hey, God knows everything you're going to ask for even before you're going to ask for it. And this is how you should pray. Where it almost seems like, if God already knows, why should I pray? But then he goes on to say, this is why you should pray. And we see that, yes, God is sovereign, and yes, prayer matters. To pit them against each other or make them contradictory is a a false choice. Jesus says, hey, God is big enough for both. He's sovereign, he knows all things, but he wants us and asks us to pray. But once you've prayed, now what? You know, in Psalm 27, we see one of the passionate prayers of David In verse 7, David says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. Verse 13, it's our calling card at City Life as we preach heaven now, heaven forever. I would have lost hope if I didn't believe I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. But what does he do while he waits for that goodness? It says in verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. You know, the idea of of waiting on the Lord Kind of sounds a little bit like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to stop stressing. I'm going to wait on God's sovereignty to move before I do anything. But if you're living on standby until something happens and calling that faith, you're doing it wrong. You know, we can't confuse patiently waiting with complacency. Don't confuse patient with complacent or being patient with being complacent. You know, we pulled from the letter of James to the church a lot last week when we were talking about prayer, but he also said quite famously in that letter, perhaps the most famous statement he wrote, faith without works is dead. You know, a lot of people think that they're walking in faith when in reality they're, they're standing in hope. They've got faith with a wishbone, but no backbone. Right? They can wish, they know their wants, they know their needs, but rarely do they act. What am I talking about? I'm talking about That person that prays for a new job, a new career path, but they don't get off their rusty and go get an application or learn to tie a tie and go do some interviews. Or they might pray that, God, please help my finances, but they never do a budget. Or, or God, please give me disciplined children, but they never discipline their children. It's like those memes, maybe you see them, maybe you don't, where somebody's praying over the food. You just kind of give them side eye because you're eating McDonald's. It's like God's not going to bless this no matter how hard we pray. You know, you know, the song we sang here, Waiting, there's a time for that, absolutely, to wait on God, to wait on his voice and to pray. But when you ask, you better be ready to act. 
When you ask, you better be ready to act because God's answer often requires that we grow a backbone to go with that wishbone and do something to demonstrate our faith. But again, as I talked about last week, it'd be so easy to just say, well, I prayed about it. God heard me, even though he already knew before I prayed it, right? And, and if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. If it's his will, it's going to happen, right? But you see the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20. I wanted to share it last week, but it didn't fit in. It's in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 and beyond, where it's one of these instances where you see somebody pray, and it seems like the hand of God has moved, like his mind has changed. Because Hezekiah, right, he gets sick, and the prophet Isaiah comes to him, and he says, hey, man, make sure your will's straight. Make sure you kiss your wife and your kids because you're going to die. This is the end of your life. And as he turns and leaves, Hezekiah he falls on his face. He prays. He weeps. And before Isaiah can even leave the property, God says, hey, go back. I'm going to have 15 years to his life. Wow, right? The it seems like the hand of God is moved in that moment. But you see, Hezekiah was promised healing, but Isaiah, the, the mouthpiece of God, still instructs him to take a practical step, to take ointment from figs and place it on the boil. There was a practical step to take if he wanted to receive God's promise of health. You know, in a similar way, you look at other Old Testament stories, maybe the most famous is Abraham, right? Old, promised offspring, and he's thinking, how? Right, but God tells him, hey, your, your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's going to bless the whole world, all nations. And, you know, for him to receive that promise took practical steps. He had to get busy, and that double entendre is fully intended. There's only one immaculate conception in the Bible, and that was Jesus. It wasn't Isaac. That was a promise, but he had to do something. Moses and the Israelites at the promised land, it's called the promised land, Right? But the first generation upon arrival, they wouldn't walk in in faith. They retreated in fear because of potential obstacles. And guess what? They didn't walk into that promised land. God named it. God promised it. It was his will, but their choices kept them out. And God would say to the next generation in Joshua 1.3, I will give you every place you set your feet as I promised Moses. He's saying, look, I promised the same to the generation before you, but they wouldn't move their feet. And guess what? They never walked into it. You know, the period of wilderness, the period of waiting for the Israelites, that was just intended to be a stage before they stepped into the promised land. That journey should have taken days, maybe weeks. Right? It was intended to be a stage, but because they didn't have active faith, what was intended to be a stage for them became a state, a permanent state of being for that entire generation. God said, hey, you won't take it? Cool. Go wander in the wilderness until the next generation will. Come on, let's not make states, permanent states out of what God intended to be a stage in our lives. Let's have active faith. You know, God will let, allow you to live in whatever your faith settles for. You know, some of us have made a state of the thing we're asking God to get us out of. Again, maybe it's bad finances. Maybe it's bad health. Maybe it's a bad attitude. You name it. But if you won't move your feet, you can't step through the door when God opens it. You know, we can't without God. But often, God will not without us because he's a good father, he's a good shepherd, he's a good leader, but he doesn't drag people kicking and screaming. He's not a caveman. He's not going to club you in the head and drag you through that door because God doesn't decide for you. He doesn't decide for you whether you're going to go to church. God doesn't decide for you whether you're going to bring a Bible. God doesn't decide for you whether you're going to take notes. God doesn't decide for you what your career is going to be. He doesn't decide for you who your spouse is going to be. He doesn't decide for you what your budget's going to look like. He doesn't force 
decisions. Prayer shouldn't lead to passivity. It should lead to activity. Because when you ask, you should be prepared to act. Because you can't walk, again, through the doors that God wants to lead you to if you're not moving your feet. Where's God asking you tonight to move your feet? Don't turn a stage into a permanent state. Take steps. You know, we hit on Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 14. It starts, wait patiently for the Lord. But right after that, it says, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. You know, patience to, to David here certainly doesn't look passive. Waiting shouldn't lead to dialing it back. It should, be, it should lead to pushing forward. David's patience in prayer wasn't complacent, and neither should ours be. Don't let your prayer lead to passivity. Don't have faith with a wishbone where you know what you wish for, but you have no backbone and you won't take any practical steps. You're waiting on God. We'll get to walking in the meantime. You know, the second step in aligning our will to God's will is just that, the will to walk. You know, don't just stand in hope. Walk in faith. Hope in your heart should move your feet. Again, you look at Joshua and the Israelites, the generation after Moses. And God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, hey, I'm giving you this land. Nobody will be able to stand against you. It'll be like the stormtroopers in Star Wars. Even when they fire their weapons, they'll manage to miss you every single time, right? You, you don't got to worry about anything. But then he proceeds to tell them, hey, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Three times in four verses. And maybe you would think, well, why do I have to be strong and courageous? Isn't this promise to me? Isn't this your gift to me? It's the promised land, am I right? Shouldn't, shouldn't I not have to worry about being brave and courageous? Where's that come in? Well, again, men cannot without God. But often God will not without man. Now, whether or not that's me and you or somebody else, that's our choice. Look, God is sovereign. Again, he doesn't choose for us. He doesn't decide for us. God is sovereign, and one of our greatest powers is the power to choose. He's given us free will. But our biggest decisions, they're not going to derail his purposes. God's purpose will prevail. He's big enough for both. You see, with the promised land, one generation passively punked out. The other stepped into his promises. He's a leader. It's not a dragger. Move your feet. Again, God says to Joshua in this generation, I will give you every place you set your feet. But if they wouldn't step, there was going to be no victory. As Big Daddy Kane once said, there was no half-stepping. Ain't no half-stepping, stepping. A <laughs> couple of you get it. Even less of you will get this. There was a, a Christian hip-hop act called The Cross Movement. They blazed the trail for a lot of the guys today, but they had an album called History with H-I-S capitalized, and then the subtitle was Our Place in His Story. Now, maybe you've heard a, a preacher say that before, or a pastor, or, but history is his story. He is effectively the chairman, right? History is his story, but God loves to use history makers. Again, man can't without God, but God so often won't unless a faith-filled history maker will step up. Our job, though, as history makers, as people that follow God, it's not to win the battle. Our job is simply follow God's battle plan. Be obedient. You know, the final outcome, it's up to God. It's out of our hands. You know, we might uh, walk victoriously out of this life. We might be marginalized, victimized, persecuted, even martyred. Right? We don't know what the outcome will be. 
But you know, I, I've been reading Lord of the Rings, and I'm going to quote it again. Somebody was mocking me, but I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Sorry that I'm not sorry. But Legolas says, after they had, they had won a battle, right? They'd fought valiantly. They were super excited. They won the battle, but it still seemed like they were going to lose the war. But Legolas says, hey, follow what may. Great deeds are not lessened in worth. We may not know the outcome, but what we just did was still great. Again, the outcome is in God's hands. Let's focus on faithfulness. Let's focus on our daily deeds and being obedient day to day. You know, working with great dedication and doing great deeds today often leads to taking care of your tomorrows. Sometimes we need to worry less about the destination of the path we're on and worry more about how we're walking it. Am I honoring God? Am I glorifying God? Am I being obedient with my every step? Uh, Larry Osborne, who wrote the book um, Thriving in Babylon, one of the first life groups we did at this campus, he said that winning or losing is not the right scorecard. Obedience is. Again, there's a lot you can't control in life, but you can always control whether you obey or you disobey. And you know, the decision to follow Christ is in a lot of ways to relinquish control. And you, you know, we as Christians joke all the time about the popular song, Jesus Take the Wheel. But Jesus doesn't want to take the wheel. He's given us free will. He wants our will to align with his will as we obey. And part of obeying is get moving. You know, we're going to leave here in 30 minutes. We're all going to get in our cars. And if you sit there and you turn it on, but you leave it in park and you try to turn the wheel, it's hard when your car is not moving to turn your wheel. You can throw your back out trying to do that. But as soon as you go two miles per hour, even three miles per hour, walking pace, all of a sudden it's easy to turn the wheel. You know, so often we ask God to direct our lives when we are sitting in park or sitting on our butts. And God's saying, hey, let me direct your steps. So get stepping. Don't just stand in hope. Walk in faith. And you talk about God directing our steps and you talk about directions. How many of you guys travel a lot maybe for work, go to different cities that, that maybe are new to you and you got to use your Maps app, the Google Map app. I don't use that one. I'm, I stick with the iPhone one, but Maybe it's better on Google, but my pet peeve is, you know, sometimes you, you start from your house and you realize I'm going to be five minutes down the road before I'm actually on the highway and I need to know where to go. But there's other times you're in like the heart of D.C., you're in some random rural area, and Siri tells you, hey, start northwest on Atlantic Road. Like, how am I supposed to know what northwest is? Like it's 6 o'clock, sun's over there, what's the, what's the line in Beauty and the Beast say, right? Uh, Tale as old as time, as the sun rises in the east. Okay, so... East is that way, like you laugh, but that's how I remembered it most of my life. I grew up on the good Disney movies. Literally how I remembered, the sun rises in the east and whatever Mrs. Potts' voice was, like it just would hear it in my head. So if it's the evening and the sun's over there, that's west. That's how I determined everything. I don't know how y'all did. I didn't have a compass. Didn't have a phone with a compass app, but I had Beauty and the Beast. But we joke about that, but, but God is a lot like GPS. He is, because both give you one step at a time. But you see, with God, we don't get to choose to see the overview. We don't get to skip five steps ahead. Sometimes I'm like, Steph, I know where I got to go for a while. When I get off the highway, what's the exit? Like, with God, we don't get to choose what's the fifth step. God just wants us to be faithful with the step that's in front of us. You know, Martin Luther King, we quoted this before here. He said, faith is, is taking the step when you can't see the staircase. And, you know, if you have faith that that staircase is going to get you where you want to go, it's not going to do you any good if you don't actually start to take the steps. And, again, what's at the end of most staircases? Maybe not all, but some, a door. 
And I'll say it again. You can't walk through the doors God will open if you don't move your feet. Where's God asking you again tonight to move your feet? And you may stumble. You may mess up. But you know, when I, when I make a wrong turn with the GPS, it doesn't say you're an idiot and just shut down, right? It readjusts. It recalculates. God does the same with us. You fall on your face. You make a wrong turn. God shows grace. He shows grace. If you don't quit, if you don't stop walking in faith, you'll get there. You'll arrive. And you know, we will make mistakes because we all have blind spots. But again, some of us, we don't need to know more. We just need to take the steps God's already told us to take. We don't need to see the overview. God's saying, hey, I, to I told you what to do. Take that practical step. When we obey the light we have, God promises, promises to give us more. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. Saying, hey, the, the way of the righteous is a lot like the dawn. At dawn, when the sun is first rising, it's, it's sometimes hard to see much. But at midday, everything becomes clear. As you continue to follow God, maybe right now you're mystified, you don't, you don't understand where you're going, but follow in the ways you know how, and it will become clear. You know, Oswald Chambers, he once said, to be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways. We don't know what a day may bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. You know, I can't plan perfectly. And I don't know what every day will bring, but that's not a bummer. That's, that's good. Because I serve a God that says, no matter what I plan, Ephesians 3.20 says, hey, he can do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what I could ask or imagine. That should get me excited in the morning. And I, hey, if that's the only step I know to take, I'm going to take that step. But again, this decision to follow Christ is in a lot of ways to relinquish control. Like Oswald Chamber implies, though, that's not a negative, but a positive. Real quick, I just want to hit on two ways that's a positive. And the first is, it gives me peace. Gives me peace. Because here's the reality. I believe in planning. I believe in, in setting goals and achieving those goals. I've had a to-do list in my Evernote for years that grows and shrinks and grows again with new things. And, and, and I, the reality is, though, no matter how hard I plan, no matter how hard I prepare, no matter how hard I work, I know circumstances out of my hands can dramatically change the outcome of any one of those things I'm planning. Sometimes in life, you can only plan and predict, but so much. And I don't know about you, maybe you're like me, but my natural response in those moments where I realize something is out of my hands, my natural response is anxiety, it's worry, it's stress. That's my natural response in those moments where I realize I don't have control about how this is going to end. We're planning a big event, July 2nd. And we're checking every four hours every day. Is it going to rain? Is it going to not? Is it going to rain? Is it going to not? Should we cancel? Should we not? Luckily, we had a beautiful day because God loves us. But that whole week, I'm like, you can't do anything about it. Why do you keep stressing it? Just pray and let it go, bro. It's like it says in Matthew 6. It's Matthew 6. It's verses 25 through 33. It's only the very beginning of 25 up on the screen, but I'm going to read bits and pieces. It's Jesus talking to his followers, he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? 
These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. See, he says, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. But he doesn't say, hey, sit back passively. He says, hey, seek the kingdom, right? And all those things will be added. It also says, don't worry. You know, Romans 8, 28 echoes this in a lot of ways, and it's probably a verse you've heard about God's care and God's providence where it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It tells me two things. Again, it tells me a lot about God's providence and how he shapes things to his plan, how he works all things together for his plan, and his plan is good. And then it also speaks directly into a second positive to God's providence, and that is our purpose, that we have purpose. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, creation seems to be delegation through and through. He will do nothing simply of himself, which can be done by creatures. I suppose this is because God is a giver. We talked about last week how God is a giver of good gifts. We hit on James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, and he never changes. You know, one of the gifts he gives us is legitimate, life-changing, life-altering purpose. And he's big enough for both, his plans and our purpose, his plans and the work of our hands. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So how does free will work with God's will? God planned it, we do it. Man cannot without God and God often will not without man. The question is, is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be us, or are we going to pass on the opportunity like Moses and the first generation of the Israelites did? Will our patience be brave and courageous or passive and complacent? Your purpose in God, and you have a purpose in God. Every person in here has a purpose, a destiny, and a calling in God. It is laced with his promises. The question is, will you step into them? Where is God asking you again to take a step of practical faith tonight. You know, if I could actually have the worship team come up. Maybe you're here and you think, you've been thinking this entire sermon of a step God's been asking you to take that you've been hesitant to take. Maybe you've been praying for a relationship, but you know the practical step God is asking you to take is forgiveness. Maybe you've been praying for any of the other things I've listed and you realize there's something God's been telling you to do and you just haven't been willing to take it. But you know, I bet and I believe that there are even more people here tonight who know that a big step is coming. Whether you're moving, you got a career, something going on with your relationship, throwing a ring on it, whatever. The next step for you, and you know it's big, and you know It's going to be like the Israelites stepping on the border of the promised land, and I'm going to have to make a decision whether I have enough faith to do it or not. So if we could all stand right now as we get ready to go back into worship. If that's you, 
And you either know that you've been avoiding a step or you know that you're going to get to a very important step in your life where you need faith and you want to ask God, give me faith. There's nothing wrong with that. You see in the Gospels, a man asks, help my unbelief. Give me more faith so that I can take those steps you're calling me to take. If you know that you're on the edge of a step God's asking you to take and you simply want faith, then I would ask, just raise your hand where you're at because I want to pray for you. I want us to lift up each other. Look, and I pray for each person in this place. I thank you that they do have a destiny, they do have a purpose, and they do have a calling. And that all throughout that purpose and that destiny and that calling, your mercy and goodness follow them all the days of their life. Your providence has paved the way for all the days of their life. You have prepared good works for them to do, as it says in Ephesians 2.10. God, and I pray that you would stir up faith. God, stir up faith. We've all taken big steps again and again in life. We, we got married, we bought a house, all these steps you take. Start an adoption process where you know in my strength, God, I can't do this. But God, I have faith that just like you told the Israelites, if, if I take this step, you'll be with me and you'll give it to me. God, I just pray that you would stir up our faith for that. God, that we'd be able to look back on those other steps we've taken. Remember your faithfulness. Remember your goodness. Remember your mercy. For even when we took a wrong turn or maybe we stumbled, Lord God, but that, that same good God, that same Holy Spirit, that same power that rose Christ from the grave is in us, Lord God. God, so we even praise you now in this moment. And you know what? We talk again about how maybe you get to a point where you've prayed again and again and again for something. You haven't seen it happen. And eventually you're just like, well, either God's going to do it or it's not. I'm done. But again, we see parables like the persistent widow that just keeps praying and keeps praying and keeps praying, keeps stirring up faith. You know, what's also powerful is, is worship. You look at the book of Acts, Paul and Silas in prison, waiting for God to deliver them. What are they doing in the prison? They're singing, they're worshiping God because they could look back on his past faithfulness, the ways he had provided, the ways he had been a good, good father and trust him in the season they were in. So tonight, no matter where you're at, no matter what's coming, no matter what's behind you, let's spend time worshiping God now. Let's sing, it is well. Let's sing, it is well.